The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to those of you who are here. Welcome to those of you online. Um, and so here's what I want you to know as man. Um, like, you know, part of my job as a shepherd is to make sure that the flock is well taken care of. And that, that's, there's some oversight in that. And so I think I was thinking in terms of um, my, my new pup, man, Red Dog. It's one of the things I do is I, I monitor his, his food. And, and bloodhounds are real bad about um, overeating it too much at one time. And their stomachs can, um, they got a name for it, but their stomachs can flip. And it's, it can be fatal for them. And so you have, to, you have to feed them, you know, multiple times a day as opposed to um, leaving it out for them because they, they will just eat too much. And the way they eat, they'll get too much air in them. Long story short, I monitor, I monitor his intake, okay? I'm monitoring what's going on. And so as a shepherd, I'm monitoring your intake too, okay? So I know, like I have a pretty good idea of, of who's here and who's not. And that's, that, you know, relatively to the size of our church, I'm able to do that. Um, but even as the church grows, I, I, would, con- I would continue to figure out a way how to know, you know, who, who's coming, who's not here, when you are here, when you're not. Um, and, and those of you online, like you may be hiding under the cover of COVID, I watch, bro. Like I'm watching, sisters. I'm seeing who's commenting. And just so you know, I ran into somebody yesterday who told me, well, they can't come right now because of COVID. And I told them. This is what I told them. I said, well, you need to bend over right now. And this was right at Sam's. Now, of course, it was Preston. (laughs) So so anyway, I told Preston, I said, man, you need to be online and you need to be commenting. So I know that you are are here. And I would say that that to the rest of you. And I love it. I love being able um, later to look online and say, who's saying saying, uh, good morning? And so I would say to you, mom, I know you're online right now. Good morning, mom. And uh, the, the rest of you who are online, really appreciate your faithfulness in, in these strange times, how many uh, of you are, are participating online. And so we think about you, and I want you to know that we think about you, and we're excited about technology allowing us uh, to participate together. And so be encouraged today. Somebody is watching besides the Lord, and I expect you to be faithful um, in your intake of what's, what's coming from the Word to challenge you. And I think that's a good, healthy thing. And I hope that you are doing the same thing for the people that you know within the body and even people within other fellowships that maybe uh, don't live in our community. It's good to encourage folks to be a part of the kingdom because healthy things happen there. So I uh, just want to make that uh, uh, announcement or, or a word of encouragement to you this morning. Uh, so today we're in Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah chapter 5, there are 11 verses here, and today's message is fairly simple and to the point, okay? Last week's message had a lot going on and took a lot to sort of explain and kind of come back and really, like, see the big picture and all that the Lord was sharing um, through the prophet Zechariah to Zerubbabel last week. And so once again, what we find in chapter 5 of Zechariah's uh, prophecy is the gospel written all over the pages of the Old Testament. And so a lot of times people will, because the Old Testament has so much of the law in it, people will discount the value of the Old Testament. And what you will find as you begin to gain a better understanding of the Old Testament teaching is that the gospels, it's all over it. And the gospel literally means 
good news. And so if you define what gospel means, it means good news. And that's why one of the questions we often ask folks is, what's the good news? What's the good news in your life? We want to hear the good news, how the gospel is playing itself out um, within the context of your life. And so here's the, here's the deal is what makes good news good is being able to embrace bad news. If you can't embrace the bad news, you can't fully understand or appreciate and value the good news. But your greater understanding of the bad news, the greater your ability to wrap your mind around the good news, which is all about the grace and mercy of God. And so up to this point in Zechariah's prophecy, the word from the Lord has been good news. I mean, this has been a fun one. If we look at all the prof- prophets that we've looked at since last spring um, and starting with, with the series on the lion, like there's been some tough ones, okay? But here in Zechariah, man, the word up to this point has been good news. We, we had the man among the myrtles, and he was down there in the midst of the evergreen trees, that we knew was, hey man, that's, that's, that represents Israel. And the man among the myrtles was, was none other than Christ himself saying that he's with them in the midst of the ruins down in that valley and that ravine of that messy stuff that they were having to rebuild. We learned about the powers that come against us and the, um, the, the horns that were raised up. But then God said, I'll send craftsmen. And we, we learned how that word craftsman is related to blacksmiths and, and how we could use uh, the word like a hammer to destroy fortresses that try to come against us. Then we learned about the, the, the next vision was about the surveyor. And he went out with a measuring line and he was going to measure the city of God. And the Lord told him that uh, the city, like there's no need for that, that the city was out without limits. And that's just a picture that the church would cover the entire planet. And so when this message is given to the immediate Israel, he's saying to them nationally that they would have an influence over the entire world. But when we get to the New Testament and the New Covenant under Christ after the atonement, then it is to the church. It's a message to the church. The church would be all over the world, and it is today, and I'm thankful for that. And so then we went from there to see that um, there, there had to be a priesthood reinstituted. And we learned about the unworthiness that, that um, Joshua, the high priest, felt as he was going to have to reinstitute the priesthood and, and how that translated as the devil himself was accusing him before God, saying he was filthy and unworthy. And the, the Lord said, take off those clothes and put new clothes on him. And that's a picture of what Jesus taught about in the wedding garments. And he removes the filthiness. He removes everything that's offensive um, to the Godhead. And and he puts um, righteousness on us. He clothes us in righteousness. So therefore, we are worthy um, to be uh, in the priesthood. We're all ministers of the gospel. So we minister the good news to other people. And we are made worthy by the work of God alone. And then last week, man, we, we, we looked in and, and we saw how God is not only the author and perfecter of our faith, he is um, the author and finisher of our work. And he calls us into work and he gives us the ability to serve. And, and that picture that we have in that lampstand of those golden pipes connected to the olive trees, bringing in that golden oil. And, and then it flows to become the light of the world, which is a picture of the church, which we're a part of.
And so we sort of fit in that role that once we have been um, clothed in righteousness, we're these golden conduits that bring the, the, the golden oil, and that's the picture of the Holy Spirit, to the planet, and we bring heaven down to earth. And so that's all been good news, man. Like, that's like, you know, who's not going to want to hear that sermon, right? Not so much today, okay? Today, um, we learn that just as there are two sides to every coin, here's your first takeaway, there are two sides to the Creator, okay? So there are two sides to every coin. You have your heads and tails. And interestingly, if you study this, it used, it, part of in the history of uh, the whole coin toss is they used to play cross and pile. And there was a cross on one side of the coin and some sort of a pile on the other side. I don't know exactly what the image was on the other side, but they called it the pile. And they would flip, kind of like we do heads or tails. And, and so when we look at the Lord what we find is that there are two sides of the Creator. The love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the grace of Christ is wonderful, and we are to be encouraged by it. And we have been over the last several weeks. Man, we've been deep into all of those things about how God works, and He's the one doing all the work. We sing about it. We worship about it. We, we talk about it. We share the good news. But the other side of Christ is His terrifying judgment and wrath. Okay, and that's just the way it is. There are two sides to even Jesus himself. There is the love, mercy, grace, and there is the judgment and terrifying wrath to come. So it's the same God, but one side is filled with mercy and grace. The other side of God is filled with judgment and wrath. And we cannot fully appreciate his grace if we do not embrace the reality of his wrath. And that's one of the reasons why there's confusion, I think, in the church today in our modern era, is we've gotten away from teaching about this side of God. And because we feel like we're, we're scaring people. And, and so it can be used in an unhealthy way to where you just scare people and, and they are motivated by fear. But the opposite is true as well as the pendulum can swing too far and all you talk about is grace. And then you can just tell them it doesn't matter how you live your life because it's all grace, grace, and love and grace when it does matter how you live your life because when, once that grace has covered you, you, you realize you're covered in the priestly garments and now you're to be a part of the priesthood and your life is, there's an expectation that your life looks different. And so when we we get out of balance. We can talk about either one of them too much. And really what we need to do is, is just be scriptural, be biblical, be true to the word and let the word take us on a journey. And sometimes the word will show us where we are to have fear and reverence toward God because there is a wrath side of God. And so we cannot fully appreciate his grace if we do not embrace the reality of his wrath. And so Zechariah's visions now shift to this picture of the Lord. They shift from the one side of grace and mercy to the other side of judgment and wrath. And so we start in verse 1, and there are two visions that we're going to look at today. So I'll read a little bit about, the, I'll read the first vision, and then I will uh, give some explanation on it, some takeaways, and we'll jump into the second vision and, and move on down the road. And hopefully this helps you to really understand who you are in Christ in a, in a really deep way. And so he says, I looked again, and there before me was a flying scroll. And he asked me, what do you see? 
And I answered, I see a flying scroll, 20 cubits long and 10 cubits wide. And he said to me, this is the curse that is going out over the whole land. For according to what it says on one side, every thief will be banished. And according to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it out and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of anyone who swears falsely by my name. It will remain in that house and destroy it completely, both its timbers and its stones. And so Zerubbabel so looks and he sees this vision of this giant scroll that's about 15 feet wide and 30 feet long. It's unrolled. And a scroll is what they would write the word of the Lord on. And it's flying up above overhead. And it has this curse on it. And one curse has to deal with um, stealing. And the other um, curse has, the other side of it has to deal with bearing or swearing falsely in the name of the Lord. And so what we have in this flying scroll is a picture of how God will judge all sin. So God looks at the planet and, and we're getting an indication of how God, in the Old Testament, he's, he's saying how he will judge all sin. And what we see is this scroll is flying under heaven and above earth. In John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. And he says that one of the roles, one of the features of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, which is, this is God, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world of of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness. He will also remind uh, the saint of everything that they have been taught. He will take the word as we read the word, and he will bring it back to our remembrance at appropriate times. And so, but one thing that the, the Holy Spirit will do is convict the world of guilt according to sin uh, and righteousness, and they will see that very clearly. And so when we look at this, the two sides of the scroll deal with a thief and swearing falsely before the Lord. And so one might look at that and go, well, you know, I don't steal. And I don't swear falsely before the Lord. And think, I'm, I'm doing all right, okay? But if you have ever stolen anything, you're not doing okay. So if there's ever been a time that you stole something, and most of us have, okay? Like you probably can remember the first time you stole something. I remember it was a piece of bubble gum from the grocery store. And my mom saw it, and we had to take it back in, and I cried, man. Okay? Unfortunately, that wasn't the last thing I stole. Okay? And so maybe, maybe, but maybe you don't fall in that camp with me, and maybe you've never stolen. The second thing is swearing um, in the name of the Lord and swearing falsely. And so it might look like, well, those, those are the two things that if we find people who steal... They're not going into heaven. And if people swear falsely in the name of the Lord, they're not going to make it into heaven. They're going to be judged. They're going to be banished forever. But that's not what this vision is teaching. In this vision, what we are seeing is the two tables of the law. And so when we talk about the two tables of the law, if we, we study the, two, the, the Ten Commandments, the first few commandments deal with the first table of the law. And then the remaining, I believe it's seven, six or seven commandments deal with the second table. And so what are the tables of the law? 
Well, the first table has to do with our relationship vertically to God. And so we are to have no other gods before us. We are to not um, even the swear falsely in the name of the Lord. And then we get down to the second table, and it is don't steal. Um, don't, don't, like the second table has everything to do with how we treat our neighbors. And so it has to do with the horizontal relationships we have. We have a vertical relationship with God, and so we have commandments in the law that deal with that. We have a horizontal relationship with man, and so we have the Ten Commandments that tell us how to treat our fellow man. Now, here's the deal, is the two sins concern two things. And the first thing, the first table of the law, on one side of the scroll, deals with offending God's holiness. And the other side deals with wronging our neighbor. And so I'm reminded very quickly what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the, what is the greatest commandment? And so they're trying to catch Jesus. They're trying to get him tripped up. And he said, the great commandment is this, the greatest of all commandments. He says, all of the law and all of the prophets hang on this one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And the second one, he says, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so what he's saying is that when you love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, you will be able to love your neighbor the way that you love yourself. And what do we see? We see him quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which we know as the Shema. And this is about what the Jews would quote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And, and, and so he says to teach these things to your kids when you sit down, when you walk along the road. And so what we're seeing in this scroll, scroll is these two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor, all right? Now, here's the deal, is that when this happens and our ability to do this can only happen when something supernatural has come over us that has shifted us above the curse, because the curse is flying over. And, G, and, and James said it this way, okay? So anywhere in the law, if we've offended anything in the law, anywhere, for whoever keeps the whole law, the whole thing, it says, and yet stumbles at just one point, he is guilty of breaking it all. So that means that if I've ever told a lie, I'm just as guilty as if I committed adultery on my wife. It means I'm just as guilty as if I murdered somebody. You say, what? Yeah, like maybe not in the court of law, but in the court of God's law, as he looks at us, the liar bears the same responsibility as the murderer. If you've, if you've ever done one thing to offend in any area of the law, you're guilty of breaking it entirely. And so this law is flying overhead, and it teaches us that everyone, without exception, is guilty of breaking the law of God. And here's our second takeaway. You either hide from Christ or you hide in Christ. Those are the only two options. You're either going to spend your life hiding from Christ or you are going to hide in Christ. And here's what you need to know about hiding from Christ. You can hide Christ from yourself, but you cannot hide yourself from Christ. So you can develop friends that will help you hide Christ from you. You can develop hobbies that will help you hide Christ from you. You can develop a lifestyle that will help you hide Christ from you. 
but you will never be able to hide yourself from Christ. So you could do a good job of putting yourself in position where you're not thinking about Christ, where you're not thinking about the things of, of God, and you put them out of your mind, but you are never in a position where Christ is not thinking about you. You can never hide yourself. And so this curse is flying over and above you. It's flying over and above everybody. That's what this scroll means. It is the law of God flying over all of humanity for all time. It has come from the mouth of God, been breathed into the heart of men who were supernaturally enabled to record it. And that's why the Bible is still around. The Bible isn't still around because religious people love it. It's still around because it is God's word. And it is the most severely attacked book that has ever been known to man, yet it's still here. And it will be here all the way until the end because it comes from God and it flies over us. Whether we like it or not, the law flies over you constantly. In Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this about the law. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law as it flies over them, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, they will be con become conscious of our sin. And so, like, what is this saying to us? It's saying that in our own power, we are hopelessly lost and there's nothing we can do about it. And the law flies over us and it shows us that. This is the bad news. And that's what makes the gospel such good news. It's because it's Christ comes to do what you cannot. So if you try to practice the law, if you think that you are going to, 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 to make it into the kingdom of God based on how you treat your neighbor and how you work at work, and how you raise your children, you are foolishly misled. You will never make it into the kingdom of God based upon how you treat other people. You will never make it into the kingdom of God based on how much prayer you, how many, how much prayer you pray. You will not make it into the kingdom of God based on how much money you give to homeless people and the church and all these other things. You will not make it in on any of those things. You will only make it in on one, one thing. It's when the enemy accuses you in front of God and says you are filthy and all of your righteousness is filthy and you are proclaimed filthy that if Christ takes away the filth and clothes you in righteousness. And the only way to get that is by believing in Jesus as the Son of God. So again, we have good news. It's like, man... Like somebody walks in and they give you a $10,000 check and you look at them and you say, what is this for? It's because I wanted to give it to you. But what did I do to get, get it? Like what, what did, what's it for? See, it's for you. But why? Because. That's what the gospel is. You do nothing for it. Now you go, well, this is good news. And what do you do when you get that $10,000 check? Honey. You know, so-and-so just gave me $10,000. And what does she do? What are we going to do with that $10,000? I think we need new furniture, right? And so, but it's good news. And then you tell the kids. Why is it so hard for us to tell the good news of what has happened to us with the gospel? The Lord has taken away our sin. He has given us 
clean clothes to wear. And it is based solely on all of what he has done and not on what we have done. And so now, when I understand the good news, guess what happens? I love God more than I did before. And I start loving my neighbor the way I love myself because I realize God loves me so much and I don't deserve it. It doesn't matter how my neighbor treats me. I'm going to give them what, they do, um, what, they, what, what, the God, what God has given me as opposed to what they deserve. And so I start, instead of, that's why Jesus said, um, when your enemy slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. He wasn't literally saying, don't defend yourself. He's saying, I'm going to turn you into the kind of person that if somebody actually slapped you, your first thought would not be slapping them back. But I would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, help you to think through how you might not engage in hurting them. That if your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. What? I'm going to change you into the kind of thing that would act that way. And so instead of trying to do these things in order to gain God's approval, we have to come to the place to realize the only way we can gain God's approval is to admit that we can't do it in, in, in our works and how we go about. And then all of a sudden, we get God's approval and he shifts our, 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 our spiritual DNA. We come alive. In Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us, and now we become the body of Christ, and we start living like Christ on the planet. And so the, the law makes us conscious of our sin, and there has to be a transformation that takes place. And when that transformation takes place, then we will start trying our best to live according to the law. But it won't be to gain God's approval. It will be because we already have God's approval. That's really, really important to understand. If not, you will get confused and you will get discouraged because you will always feel like you're failing because there will always be some area in your life where you're falling short where the Lord really just wants to shape you in that area. And so instead of trying to gain God's approval by what you're doing, you realize you've got God's approval by what he's done and he helps you change what you're doing. And so that's, that's like basic Christianity. Here's the, here's the third takeaway. Everyone is judged according to how they choose to hide. Okay, so the law is flying over us. It's above us. It's making us conscious of sin. And everyone is judged according to how they choose to hide. If you choose to hide in Christ, the power and penalty of sin is removed. It's just taken away. If you choose to hide from Christ, which we've already established, you really can't do it, but you can hide Christ from yourself. So if you choose to hide there, this, this, this first vision teaches us that the curse will penetrate your house. This is what it says. I will send, the Lord Almighty declares, this is verse 4, I will send it out and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of anyone who swears falsely by my name. Translation, anybody who has offended the law. It will enter their house. And it will remain in that house. And what will it do? It will destroy it completely, both its timbers, which is the frame, and its stones, which is the foundation. So it totally destroys everything about that particular house. Now, does that mean that my family is in jeopardy? based on the way that I choose to hide. It does. It does. The, the, the greatest preacher of the gospel your children have is you. Not me. Not me. 
Like it doesn't matter if you find the most, it, is, it doesn't matter if you, if Billy Graham was your neighbor and you had him over for cookouts every weekend, the greatest preacher of the gospel in your child's life is still you, mom, is still you, dad. And so if the curse exists in you, is there a good chance that the curse is passed down to your children? Yes, no doubt. Now, it doesn't mean that that's, that's determined. It just means that practically speaking, that's just the way it would play out. And so like if, 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 we, uh, if the curse is lifted in us and we are ministers of the gospel in our home, the greater the chance that the curse is lifted in our family. Still not a guarantee, but certainly a, a greater chance than if not. And so that's really important. But that's not exactly what this verse is talking about. This, this vision is not specifically about your family and home. It does impact it. But specifically what is being referred to is ultimately the curse will destroy you. So the house is your life. The word, um, the Hebrew word here is bayith. And it means, like it can mean a dwelling, it can mean a family, it can mean an abode, a place of dwelling. But it also can mean a body, okay? And what is the body supposed to be once, once it's transformed? It is the, uh, the temple of the Lord. And so your body is very important because your soul is inside of your body. And so that, that soul that lives in that body is either transformed and shaped by the power of the Lord or it is left to live under the curse. And so if you're hiding underneath, um, if you're hiding behind the premise of, well, I'm just going to try to do the best that I can. I believe Jesus is over there and I think he's important, but there are also all kinds of other beliefs. And, and so like, I'm going to do my best that I can to respect Jesus and respect other people, which I think you should respect people regardless of what they believe. But the, the difference is, is that if you're keeping Jesus kind of at arm's length and he never has penetrated your house, meaning your body, it's yours. Nobody else gets to rule over your body. If he has never penetrated your body and transformed your soul, then what is promised here is that the curse will fall on your life and you will ultimately be destroyed. If you do not choose, like choose, to hide in Christ, there are consequences. And so we started with this whole coin toss, okay? There are two sides of the coin. What's different about the two sides of God is that it's not about chance. It's not about flip it and go, well, I hope I'm doing right in Christ. And if the coin falls right, when I draw my last breath, I'll be in good shape. No, it's about certainty. It's about, here's the coin. Here's heads. Here's Christ. Here's tails. Here's belief. Here's not. Which one do you choose? So it's the choice is, is, is determined by you alone, in which God has created free will and given you the ability to choose. And so if you choose to hide in Christ, all of your sin is taken away. If you choose not to hide in Christ, so like you say, man, here's Jesus over here. Here I am right here. I'm choosing that. You're hidden in Christ. If, if you choose the other, like you just hide from Christ. And you're still there, fully exposed, and you try to do things to make you think that you're not hidden. Now, here are the consequences they come in the second vision. Then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, Look up. 
and see what is appearing. And I asked, what is it? And he replied, it is a basket. And he added, this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. Then the cover of lead was raised, and there in the basket sat a woman. And he said, this is wickedness. And he pushed her back in the basket and pushed its lead cover down on it. I think that's kind of a funny verse. <laughs> and so he says, then I looked up, and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. And they had wings like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Where are they taking the basket, I asked. And the angel who was speaking to me replied, to the country of Babylonia. Some translations say Shinar. This is always the place of wickedness in the Bible. It doesn't always specifically mean it may have one immediate translation that means the then and there, the city of, uh, uh, of Babylon, but it also can mean um, just things that are wicked and away from God. So they're taking it away to, to Babylonia to build a house for it. There's that word again, an abode for it. And when the house is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. Okay, so what do we learn here? We learn that wickedness is under the watchful eye and control of the Lord. And so when he says he opened the basket, and in the basket there sat a woman, and that woman was wickedness, so he pushed her down and he covered her up. Why, why does it choose a, women, a woman? Because the, the, the Hebrew, the word wickedness is feminine, so that's the only reason. Okay, and So the Hebrew and Greek is a little bit different than English, so sometimes you have to understand that. It's not that evil were women or women were evil. It's that the word itself is in the feminine. And so what, what we learn is that God is under the watch, like, like he's watching over wickedness, and he controls wickedness. And so sometimes uh, as we look at this, um, we, we think in terms of, well, uh, this also means that God measures and judges sin. So all of your sin is measured because this, this basket is a form of measurement. That's what they used baskets for. And so he, 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 what is being taught here is that God is he's, he's aware of all sin. He watches over it. And he, he is it really literally in control of it. Now some people get tripped up here when it comes to faith because they're like, well, I really don't understand how you can believe in God and teach that way. And you say that, um, wickedness is here. Why, does, why did God create wickedness? He didn't. He did not create wickedness. He did not create evil. You say, well, but there's evil in the world. And if God is over all things, how could you say he didn't create evil? I want you to, you gotta, you gotta wrap your minds around what evil is. Evil, you cannot have evil unless you have good. All evil is a perversion of good. For instance, a rapist commits an evil act. Well, did he create an evil act uh, out of nothing? No. God has given us um, sexuality. He's given us a desire to have sex. He's given us pleasurable experiences in that. 
But he's told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so a person, when they rape another individual, what they're doing is violating everything that God said was good, taking something that was not theirs to have and calling it their own, and they are becoming God over that situation. So they are making a choice. They're taking their free will, and they are taking something good, and they are perverting it, and all of a sudden we have evil in the world. So God did not create evil. All God created was the propensity for evil and giving us choice. And we created evil by choosing to disobey God. And sin entered the world and the curse happened. And so when somebody tells you, man, I don't understand how God could allow evil. Like you have to flip that on them and go, I don't understand why God tolerates us because we are evil when we're the ones responsible for creating the evil in the first place. We introduced evil into the world by taking this wonderful free gift of choice and perverting all that was good, and we brought evil into the planet. And so, what, so one, we see that, and two, we learn that God measures and judges sin, and that's terrifying because all of our sin can be measured by God. And if a person does not, and here's where we get to the big idea, if a person does not choose to hide in Christ, he cannot escape the consequences. And that brings us to the big idea. You hide in Christ or be hidden with your sins. That's it. Like you either are going to hide in Christ or you will be hidden with your sins. What the vision teaches us, the, the, the woman in the, 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 vision, the, the, the basket is wickedness. The lead cover is something that they would use to ensure that it could not come off. You didn't want to use a rock because it might fall off. You didn't want to use a piece of wood because it might get blown off. You use a heavy piece of lead that secures it and nothing can get out of that. And so it's safe inside of there. And so that's the imagery that he was giving them is that this could not be removed once it's placed there. And so when we see this, all wickedness is measured and placed in the basket. The lead cover says if you are guilty of sin, you will not escape the wrath of God. You just can't do it. And then all of a sudden, these other two women that have these giant wings in this vision, they suspend this particular basket between heaven and earth because it is not fit for heaven or earth, and they carry it away. And what this tells us is that when Jesus returns, sinners are shut up with their sins. They are placed in a measure. The lid is shut. They are carried away to a place where retribution begins and never ends. It's the doctrine of hell in the Old Testament. And it's frightening. And it should be frightening. But it should turn into good news. Because what we learn is that wickedness is removed from the land. The land will be purified and one day all wickedness will be removed from the land. And the saint reigns with the Lord because he does not need to be removed because his sin was removed before the Lord came back and the lead cover was put down on the basket. And so that's good news. And so when we look at this and we go, whoa, man, like, I want to escape that. What do I do? Well, the only thing you can do is call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. 
That's why we talk about salvation. That's why we talk about transformation. Is this, this is clearly taught over and over in the Word for thousands of years of history. It is captured through these men who the, the Lord used to speak a language of love to us. And the only way we can understand the language of love is if, if, if free will is created. The only thing that makes love possible is for choice to happen. If we do not have choice, we are automatons and we cannot love God because we are programmed to do it. But when choice is programmed into our DNA, then real genuine love happens. You see, my wife chooses to love me. And she has chosen to love me for 24 years now. And that constant choosing to love me over and over has greatly enhanced our connection with with each other and our ability as I've chosen to love her. See, I could choose not to love her because I'm Jimmy and she's Abby. And she has her own body and I have my own body and I have my own will. But I've walked in obedience to the Lord and it has been a joy of my life that it hasn't always been the easiest thing, but I have chosen to love her. And because I have chosen to love her, our love has grown over the years. And and it's not the same as it was when we first met each other. It's deeper. It's richer. It's, it's a beautiful thing that I can't explain. I just know it's there and it's happened over time. And it's, I love her more than I did seven years ago because I'm capable of loving her more because I understand more. And I've continued to yield that choice to choose to love her. And so that, that's what makes love possible is choices. So God created us. He placed us here. And, and we have to make a conscious decision that we choose to love Jesus. And that's, that's what we mean by like getting saved is God will he, will, he will turn the lights on for us spiritually. We may be walking under the curse, okay? And the curse is falling on us and it's flying over us. And all of a sudden we hear a message like today's message and we're like, geez, man, I don't know if I've ever chosen to love Jesus that way. I don't know if I've ever chosen to believe Jesus and lay my life down on the altar of, uh, of sacrifice and say, Lord, I'm yours. And so all of a sudden the lights come on and we say, I need to hide in Christ. And so when you hide in Christ, what happens is you still understand everything about the law, but now has shown you that you can't keep it. Only Christ can keep you protected from it. And now you are hidden in Christ and your life is moved above the curse. Because now your blessings, as Paul says, all your spiritual blessings are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So we no longer live below the curse with, it, with the condemnation that brings growth. We live above the curse. So that now we can seek the kingdom of Christ and expect the God of all the cre- uh, creation will provide for us because we are no longer offensive to him under the curse. He has elevated us above the curse. We possess the Holy Spirit. And as a child of God, I walk in his power and his identity. And he enables me to do the ministry of the priesthood of the believer that is for everyone. And I become a preacher of the gospel, the good news. And I'm no longer worried about that basket that is carried away, except for I think constantly about who's going to be in the basket when the lead cover comes down. And my life is committed to ensuring 
that I do all that I can to reach as many people as I can to ensure they're not in that basket when that lead cover falls. And that's, my friends, is why the church is the hope of the world. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.